Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm Jen Taylor, your host. I am mom of 18, and you can find me on momsrunningit.com. Remember, give a shout out to those who are brave enough to share their stories with us on how they have become parents. Let's dive right in. I am super excited today because I have Elizabeth Andreeski. Did I do it right? Kind of. Okay. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Yay. And I'm so excited. Uh, You're across the country from me and we're going to talk about your story. And at the end, we're going to talk about your website. Everything's in the links, but you said Instagram is the best way to connect with you. Yes, it is. Okay. And Um, I'm at currently I'm taking a little break on Instagram because I'm moving. Oh my but I will be back in a little bit. So, okay. That's awesome. Florida. What brought you to Florida? Weather. (laughs) Yeah. We've been in Minnesota for 20 some years. And I think it's just like, it's hard to be stuck inside. I have little kids and I feel like for half a year we're stuck inside and they have so much energy and Mm -hmm. I need them to be outside more. Yeah. Florida is one of the places that we've, I mean, we're in Reno, Nevada and most of our kids are here. So we probably won't move. I'm, I'm not banking on that, but we've talked about it. And Florida is one of the places that we've talked about. That's awesome. All right. You're in the middle of a move. So let's jump in and talk about your story uh, as an overview. And again, everything's in the notes, but you have four kids, 10 and under, you had two C-sections and two home births and two miscarriages. And I want to talk about all of that and your personal struggles. So I don't know if you want to jump in when you got married or maybe some of your upbringing, but you jump in and start sharing your story where it makes sense. Yeah, I grew up in a family of six kids. I'm the oldest. I got married 13 years ago. Both my husband and I were 20. We were such babies. I was thinking, how did our parents say, go ahead and get married? Because when I look at the photos, I'm like, oh my gosh, we were so young and immature. But um, we're here today, four kids later. Um, we had our first one right when I finished college. And he, um, I had planned, you know, a natural birth. Um, but I had like a backup plan for a C-section, but I didn't really think it was going to happen. And it was just like a normal hospital birth and then failure to progress. That was kind of like what they wrote down for the reason of a C-section. And it just like, by the time they took me to C-section, the epidural was wearing out of my system. They've given me so many boosts that it was just like too much drugs in my system. And they said, we just need to put you out completely. And so I pretty much like missed the whole experience of actually like hearing the baby cry for the first time and seeing him. And they ended up like, you know, my husband took the baby, he brought it upstairs. My mom was there. My mother-in-law was there, my sister-in-law. So they all got to see him before me. And I remember like right now when I'm, you know, 10 years later, it doesn't truly matter. But when you're like a, a, a mom that your first baby, like it really makes a difference. I was so sad that it just did not happen the way I wanted to. So when I got pregnant with my second son, I'm like, I'm going to do something different. I came across a documentary called The Business of Being Born. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't, but I'm going to write and, that down. Yeah. And then they have a second part, More Business of Being Born. And it's about um, like the reality of what a home birth is like. 
like what is a home birth you know how does it actually look like and about like having a v-back and all of that and like midwives I didn't even know midwives were a thing with my first kid and so I ended up hiring two midwives to do a home birth because I was so excited about the experience and it was going really well until the baby's head came out and then he just got stuck and I push and nothing happens. And I was like in a pool at home. And um, so he got stuck pretty bad. They were able to eventually get him out, but he got, he was stuck with his head just out for a while with like multiple pushes and nothing happening. And the midwife had to pull him out. And so when I got pregnant with my third one, I was a little bit like concerned. I'm like, I don't know, because should I do a home birth? Should I do another C-section? Because the midwife said he was stuck pretty bad. And, and when I kept, it took me a while to figure out what I should do. And I ended up settling on a home birth again. I had one of the, one of the, the midwives I hired again, one of them was the previous one that I had before. And she already knew my history. They were really good with like um, having me track my diet. So I make sure I don't overeat. So the baby isn't, you know, too big. Cause I had, it was an eight pound baby. My second one, it was pretty big baby for somebody who's 4'11", you know, and like wow. pounds. Yeah. Right. I had a, I had a pretty big baby. And so I was really like intentional with what I ate. I was eating healthy, make sure I didn't eat too much sweets or carbs in my third trimester. And I still ended up having an 8.5 pound baby and he got stuck pretty bad. His head came out and I push and nothing happens and I switch positions and nothing happens. Okay. And it was minutes like with his head out and nothing like him just being stuck and the midwife's trying to pull him out. And it was at home. They, praise God, eventually were able to pull him out, but it was scary. It was scary. And so um, when I talked to the midwives, like postpartum, they said it was like the scariest thing that they ever experienced with like a home birth. And they said, if it ever happens again, like, it's just not safe for me to have another vaginal birth. They did an internal pelvic exam and they said, my pelvis is truly abnormally shaped and it doesn't allow the baby's shoulders to turn when the head comes out. And so, because I'm also, I'm also 4'11", I am petite. Yeah. And so, and I have big babies. So they just said for the safety of the baby, it's just not safe to have um, another vaginal birth. And then some time passed and I, I got pregnant again. I miscarried at six weeks. So it was really early on. I didn't feel like it kind of made a huge impact on me, but then I got pregnant again and I miscarried at 17 weeks. So that was like a hard one. Cause that was second trimester, right? Like it's, it's already you, like you think, Oh, I'm past the first trimester. Everything should be fine. I went in for a checkup and the midwife was checking for a heartbeat and there was no heartbeat. And I thought like, well, maybe baby's behind the placenta, you know, sometimes the placenta is in the front and they had me, you know, go get an ultrasound at a different clinic and um, there was no heartbeat. And that really, really took me by surprise because I didn't think it was going to happen to me. And thank goodness I was kind of in a position in life where I've 
been through hard seasons before, like in our marriage. And I knew that I needed support Mm-hmm. And Good. I knew what I knew what I needed to get through this season. And I reached out to multiple of my friends and I said, Hey, I just lost my baby. Would you please pray for our family? And if you could, in the next couple of weeks, drop off a meal, it would be really, really grateful because I knew, first of all, I hate cooking, period. I have three other kids, I have three boys. I knew that is that cooking is the freaking last thing I want to do on earth when I'm breathing. And I know that I need some space and alone time um, to um, process what happened. I need time alone. And then I need time with um, people that could listen to me and hear my story out. Not my kids. I did not need my kids. And for some reason, like I was, I needed time either with my husband or me alone, or I needed like my friends that came over and dropped off a meal. They asked if like, if I wanted to share what happened. And every time I shared my story, I was able to process it more and process it more and move forward. And so I already knew that based on like the struggles I experienced in my marriage a few years before that. So I knew what I needed. And I think that was what was so helpful. I journaled, I I prayed, I had alone time, I went to be in nature by myself with God, I talked to my friends and I processed it, I reached out for support and help, friends offered to take my kids, I'm like, yes, please take my kids so I can have some of that time to myself, so that was so helpful, and I think that is what helped me get through the grieving process, a lot quicker than maybe other moms would. I also got up, you know, at the hospital, they gave me a book about like, um, about um, miscarriages or stillborns and like, and hearing other people's stories made me feel less alone and that there's other people that kind of understood what I went through. So that was really helpful for me having a support system and like actually reaching out because people often don't know how to help you. Right. And, And like, I knew what I needed. I'm like, take my kids <laughs> and bring me food. And those things will be super helpful for me. I think it's actually outstanding that one, you asked for help. I think so many women feel like with miscarriage, it's not talked about a lot. It's not, um, we don't, it's not considered a birth, although it is. Right. I, there's a stigma in society. I, I don't know if it starts with the medical profession or that women just are, don't talk about these things enough because it's it sh- we should be. We're the only ones going through this stuff together. Um, so it's amazing that you got support with a book from the hospital. That's amazing. And that not only did you know you needed help, but you had no problem asking for it women don't seem to be great at that and that you recognize that it was a birth. I mean, I I lost twins at 19 weeks, so I understand. And it's not like a viable birth. It's definitely a miscarriage and the baby is not alive, but you, a lot of the process is the same. It's still, that baby still has to be born, whether it's DNC or D like it has to happen. Some process has to happen for the baby to no longer be in your body anymore. And I, I applaud you for knowing what you wanted and, and asking for it. 
sometimes we don't know. And often, even if we do, we don't ask for it. So holy cow, that's outstanding. What was the, I guess, medical process? You were in the hospital, you said. So what, what was your process with your miscarriage in that situation from that standpoint? Yeah, when we came, actually it just so happened that the hospital was so good. They were so, the staff that worked with us was absolutely amazing. I mean, we got there, they were so sweet and understanding and empathetic and just explained everything. They asked me what kind of um, um, like delivery I wanted one. One of them was like, you know, they would give me um, an internal, like a vaginal pill that would open the cervix after a certain amount of hours and just let the baby come out. And then the other one was they would have like cleaned me out. And I chose the natural with the, the first option. And um, they asked if I wanted to confirm with an ultrasound again to make sure, you know, there's no heartbeat. And I'm like, yes, please. That At least that made me feel so much like better, right? Because I'm like, definitely, like, it's not just one person that said there's no heartbeat. Right, right. But, and so they confirmed and they were just so understanding. They were so supportive. They, it just, it's probably the best experience they could have given to a grieving family. Um, and, you know, it was like, I don't know, hours later, I don't know, six, seven hours later after they gave me the pill that I actually ended up had the urge to push the baby and the baby came out and they asked me if I wanted to see the baby. Um, I decided to say yes. Um, we had three boys at the time. They asked if we wanted to know the gender of the baby. We thought, originally we thought no, but then I'm like, yes, we do. And it was another boy. <laughs> I'm like, I guess we just make boys. Um, but I mean, the baby does look strange, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've had miscarriages. It, it doesn't look like an actual, you know, full grown newborns. And it looks a little scary, even just the features and stuff like that. So it was a little bit uncomfortable in that sense. Um, they asked us if we wanted to take the baby and bury it somewhere or if they would take it, the baby, because they have like a special place in the cemetery where they, um, take all the stillborns or miscarried babies. And we said, you know, they could take the baby just because where we live, it's we don't own the house. So it just like, you know, we're like, otherwise we maybe even, you know, would have done something in our yard, in the backyard, but we, we decided for them to take the baby. And, um, and then they just like let my husband and I like be, they cleaned everything up and they just let us, allowed us to have that time to just cry and just hold each other and just be with one another. They didn't rush us out. Like, and it was just a very um, warm experience, I think. And then they gave us uh, a box at the end that um, with um, of, of footprints of the baby and, um, also like, you know, just a care box where it had that book and then it had like, you know, a care package, you know? Um, and so that was like really special. I don't know. I, they did an amazing job at the hospital that um, it happened to, because that's where I went to have my fourth one. I'm like, because the experience was so good. I'm like, I want to go back to that hospital if I have another baby. So. Wow. I love you sharing your, your story. And and in detail, um, so many women don't have this experience. Your experience actually, like if you want to talk statistics, has the best outcome for 
being able to grieve, you had the childbirth in the hospital. They asked you to like when you have natural childbirth and you're, you actually see the baby. And I understand what you mean about it feeling scary. Like the features aren't the same, but like you had statistically the best experience for processing grief that you can possibly have. What a actual beautiful story. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And then a little bit later, we surprisingly got pregnant again. <laughs> and, um, and we, my husband did said something really cool. He's like, do you want to know who the gender is? I'm like, if it's a girl, I want to know if it's a boy, <laughs> I can wait. Cause we already have three boys. I'm like, I can just wait till the baby's born. So when we went to get the ultrasound, we did not find out who we were having yet. My husband had a secret agreement with the ultrasound tech and the front desk lady that they would call him later and tell him who the gender is. And if it was a girl, he would throw me a surprise gender reveal party. And so he found out that it was a girl. And so six weeks later was my birthday and he did a surprise gender reveal party for me. We had like family, everybody together. And then um, he had this big box and I honestly had no idea. Cause I'm like, well, we don't know. He doesn't know. I don't know. Like I literally had no idea what was in the box and he opened it and there was like a bunch of pink balloons and it said, it's a girl. And he had special, like he picked out her first outfits. He went to the store and picked out her first outfits. And I was so confused. I'm like, what is this? H- how do you know it's a girl? Like we didn't find out. And so then he told me how he found out, but it was really, really like special. And the coolest thing is that I um, came across on Instagram, these videos of C-sections where they um, lower the drape and they pull the baby out a little bit. And then they allow mom to put the hands down and pull the rest of the baby out and put her the baby on the chest. And I, I reached out to an OB, actually it just happened to be the first OB. I, oftentimes they, you know, don't want to do something like that. And I'm like, Hey, I saw this experience. I don't know if they do this in the States. What do you think about this? This is my history. I really wanted to have a home birth, but I can't, but I want to have more of an intimate experience. So what do you think about this? And she was on board. She's like, I've never done it. I don't see why not. And so they had a bunch of meetings in the hospital and they allowed me to have that C-section. And it's actually, um, it's been on the news. It was, um, they had me, they interviewed me on the local news and they talked about my story and they did a blog post about it on the hospital website. But yeah, they like, they had sterile gloves on me and I had the gloves on my chest. Um, And then once they pulled the baby out a little bit, they lowered the drape and they let me put my hands down put my hands under the baby's armpits and just pull the baby right on top of my chest. And she was like right there with me and I was able to nurse her in the OR and everything. It was like the coolest thing. Wow. And you decided to go the C-section route just because of your experiences both times because home births tend to be really beautiful. Yours were really probably beautiful, but like tough, super tough yeah. home birth. So you, yeah. you made that decision to not do that again. Yeah. It was just not safe because 
when my second one got stuck, by the time they were able to pull him out, his whole head was blue. Like yeah. it was just not a safe decision. It would, I think it would be a little bit foolish on my end yep. to make a decision like that again, you know? And so that's why we decided to do a C-section. And I just wanted like a more of a gentle or like, I guess like intimate approach with a C-section, yes. not like a traditional one. How great. Um, I love that you're, I mean, I don't love that your first C-section, you were totally under and you felt so disconnected. And I completely understand why you would feel that way. But I love that you ended up like, you know what you want and you're not afraid to ask for it. And that's a great example to other women because that situation was out of your control and there wasn't really anything you could do about it. So you have to process through that on your own. And the other, but then you went and had V-backs, which some women are afraid of and some midwives won't do, like some doctors won't do. And so how phenomenal that you were able to really ask for what you want and stand for that and then realize, okay, that was wonderful. However, it, it would be irresponsible to do that again. So now I want to get a C-section that's the best possible and fi- I just, I'm so proud of you because so many women don't know what they want or are afraid to ask. And you did both. Oh, thank you. I guess like, I didn't even think of it in that way until like you, you know, put it that way. But yeah, I think a lot of it is just like, as you get older with life yeah. and you mature more, you kind of know more what you want and you get stronger to be able to kind of express your needs and desires and to stand for them. I don't know if I would have been able to do this in my super early twenties. I think, you know, as you just get older and you mature more, you just kind of, you know, come further along in life and you learn these things. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. Although there's something that happens to women because I'm pretty forward myself in most things in life, but you get pregnant and I think that there's this fear of the unknown or what could possibly go wrong. And you look to someone who knows more than you do to like protect you and keep you safe. And, um, you know, midwives are geared a little bit more that way. They want to be safe and responsible. And at the same time, they're real open to what you want and they will allow time to happen in a delivery where I know a lot of the times doctors, like they want it on their schedule and they want it to be faster and like what's fastest and easiest for them in the medical team, not what's in the best interest of the mom. And there are so many stories like that. It's great to hear a story where the polar opposite happens. So I am so excited about that. So baby number four, what was it like to recover from the cesareans compared to the vaginal deliveries? Cause you had tough vaginal deliveries. Yeah. You know, so like the part where the baby got stuck, you know, that was the hard part, but besides that part, the recovery and just everything else went really good. Um, but the C-section recoveries are very different. Yeah, They're very different. And especially with, I mean, with the first one, it's a little bit easier in the sense that you don't have other kids to take care of, right? It's just 
you know, my husband, I think took a couple of weeks off of work and it was just us and the baby. Yes. You're a new parent. It has its own challenges, but I think what makes it harder with, um, repeated C-sections is you have other kids to take care of and they have their needs and they don't realize what you truly went through. Right. Like my boys like, Oh yeah, mom had a baby, but they don't truly understand right. what it's like. And so, um, so my husband was able to take two weeks off of work um, when the last baby was born. Um, my sister-in-law was able to go put together a meal train. Mm. And for six weeks, I had people bring me meals every other wow. day. We had food for six weeks straight. I did not do any cooking. We just reheated meals. And that was like the most helpful thing. Um, also... I mean, I have family that lives nearby um, and I would reach out to my siblings and to my mother-in-law and I'm like, hey, can you take the boys for a little bit so I can, you know, rest with a baby just because I know that I don't do well when I'm so exhausted and so tired. Um, I don't respond in a very positive way when I'm sleep deprived. So I know that I need a little bit extra sleep and to recover. Um, So for about six weeks, I had really, really good support, especially the meals thing. I don't know about you, but yeah, that's the last thing I want to do when I'm recovering after a C-section. And so it was so nice to have meals for me and just, um, and if anybody reached out, be like, oh, you know, congratulations. Do you need anything? Yes, you can bring me a meal. <laughs> you can take my kids to a park. <laughs> yes. And so- I mean, again, I think it's important that you know what you need and you ask. And I, it always bothers me so much. You know, a woman has a baby. That baby needs nothing. It needs to nurse. You know, it needs to eat and be changed and sleep. Like they're, they the newborn stage is tough in that it's new and it's, you're exhausted. And, you know, there are all kinds of other issues that can happen, but really in the scheme of things, a newborn needs very little. And it always drives me crazy when women are like, Oh, I want the baby, the baby, the baby. I'm like, you know, that two-year-old, that four-year-old was a baby a couple of years ago. Take that one. (laughs) Like they, they need interaction those older kids need so much and like you don't need to come and see my baby you can see it in two months but I my older kids really need to be loved on and they really need yeah they don't understand they shouldn't understand they just want their mom to do normal mom stuff and you can't but meals meals was it for me too even when you get sick I mean like it doesn't matter insert issue here the answer Mm -hmm. is bring food a hundred percent. Yes. 100%. Especially when you have like, especially when you have other kids. Yes. Especially when, I mean, even with the first time baby, you're still, I think is having meals is so helpful. It's mm-hmm. like, you're trying to figure everything out by the time you nurse feed, put the baby to a nap, you go to the bathroom. It's time to do it all over again. And you don't have time, right. To, right. you know, make anything. So I think meals is like the most helpful the thing you can do for postpartum mamas. And yep. like, if she is comfortable enough, you can also offer to like clean her house or something, you know, like actual help to she truly, truly needs. Some moms are not comfortable with that, but like 
if somebody came to my house and they're like, hey, can I deep clean your house? I'd be like, yes, please. The less stuff for me to do, like the better. And I know that was a mindset shift that I had to make because asking for help yeah. is so hard for so many moms. And they, it's like this message they tell themselves, it's embarrassing. I should be able to do it all because other moms do it, right? Um, it's a weakness. Or yeah. like it's, I, I like so many moms see it in that lens. I chose to shift my lens and be like, you know what? Who says I have to do it all? <laughs> I don't want to do it all. Like, uh, no, it stresses me out to try to do it all. I can either bond with my newborn or I can go clean the bathrooms or make a meal. And if somebody can bring me a meal, so I can save some of that energy and effort and use it to bond with my newborn in the beginning. Um, I'll choose that instead. I, like, and I like one of the things I teach my moms is like, you can't do it all. And the mom that looks like she has it all together, guess what? Behind closed doors, she's probably falling apart. She could be screaming and yelling at her kids. Her marriage could be in shambles. Her health might be struggling. But on the outside, she looks like she has it all together. But in reality, like if you try to do it all yourself, you have a limited amount of energy. You're eventually going to run out and you literally burn yourself out. And I just choose not to do that anymore. I choose to see like asking for help from a lens of like, that's a way I can support myself and make yeah. things easier for myself. And it helps me be a better mom to my kiddos. I think we all like to be the one helping because it's like the superhero we're helping, you know, you're struggling and I'm going to come save the day and help because that feels really good. And mm -hmm. Because I know how good that feels, I always believed that when somebody offered to help and you didn't accept their help, you're robbing them of that blessing. You're exactly. robbing them. I was going to say that. Yes, yeah. I was going to say that. A friend of mine told me this a long time ago when I was in a depression, in a season of depression. And um, another friend of mine, she had a house cleaning business and she offered to come and clean my house because everything felt so overwhelming and like too much in that season of life. Like I couldn't even keep up with the house. And I had three kids at that time and I was a little bit uncomfortable with somebody coming to my house and cleaning. And the other friend, she said, you are robbing somebody of a blessing. Mm -hmm. They want to bless you to come and clean your home because they have this gift that they can offer you. And you are, want to say no because you're uncomfortable or embarrassed. You're literally robbing them of a blessing. Mm -hmm. What if you wanted to do something to somebody and they're like, no, just because they felt uncomfortable. Right. You know? Like we've all seen a dirty bathroom. I, yes. yeah, I like, I don't care. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And, and, and really the worse shape your house is in, the more that person realizes how much you really needed the help. And it's just more of a blessing. The whole being embarrassed by things like, look, this is what's happening and I can't keep it all together. So yeah, I, I, I love when people ask if they can help. And I love even more when you realize like when you're not feeling like the superhero, when you're on the receiving end, you're allowing that other person to feel that way. You had some struggles with breastfeeding and your breastfeeding relationship. So I'm going to make the assumption that you wanted to breastfeed and then things were difficult. So I want to talk about 
the challenge, you know, I don't want to wrap up on uh, um, something that's not super happy. I like to wrap up on things that are super happy, but I want you to kind of highlight the struggles that you had and if there were a happy ending or what the happy ending was. Yeah. So with my first son, um, I read a lot about breastfeeding before, like I had him and I was so determined that I was going to breastfeed. And I did in the beginning, the first few weeks went really good. I didn't have any latch problems. I didn't have any sore nipples. Thank goodness. Um, and then I um, introduced the bottle just because I'm like, I knew I had to go to back to work. And once he tried that bottle, he did not want to nurse again. Ah. And I tried to nurse him again. And he literally, like he was a month old and he literally would take his hand and like push away and scream his head off and literally refuse to nurse. And if I would try to give him the bottle again, he would just eat the milk and just go to sleep. And I'm, I was so determined I was going to break his will by keep giving him a first time mom, by keep giving him the breast and he's crying and I'm crying and he's crying. And I tried all the skin to skin and nursing with him in the bathtub, giving him the pacifier and I'm pulling it away and giving him the boob. And as soon as he would get it, he would just like push away and scream. And it, I felt so rejected. I felt so rejected by my baby who was a month old. I'm like, I wanted to nurse so bad. I wanted this relationship with him, this bonding experience. And he's like pushing me away. And it was just hard because I was going back to work and he would eventually get the bottle. And what ended up is just, I, after like three weeks of struggling with this, I ended up just giving him the bottle and just pumping um, and it was not how I wanted it to happen, but it just like, it just happened that way. Um, with my second son, I also was going back to work and, um, same thing. I waited like a week before I went back to work to introduce the bottle, knowing that that's what happened with my first, mm -hmm. I introduced it for like one ounce, like, um, a few days before I went to work. And then the first day I was at work and he had his first full feeding from a bottle, same thing happened. Same exact thing. He would like, he was a few months old. He would just push me away and scream. And I, same thing. I tried for several weeks. I would do skin to skin. I would sleep with like co-sleep without a top. So he would like smell me. And like, I tried all the stuff they said online and it's like, he would still refuse. I ended up also just pumping. Um, with my third one, I stayed home. I didn't go back to work. So I was able to nurse him. So um, that was really good. He did have lip and tongue, tongue tie in the beginning. So that kind of messed things up with like the whole nursing. But once that was figured out, a friend of mine kind of suggested, she's like, maybe you should look into lip and tongue tie. I think, you know, that might be it. And once I did, it was, and we were able to fix it and then things resolved. Um, and so thank goodness I was able to nurse him for about 10 months. And then my youngest baby right now is 11 months old and it's been such a blessing. I've been able to nurse her for 11 months and I've had enough milk and there hasn't been any, been any issues, but 
the first two were rough. I felt so rejected. I'm like, this is what I'm meant to do is to nurse you. This is the only one thing I can do, you know, like just the mom, you know, and it was, it was challenging. There was a lot of tears in there. I love that you continue to pump. I mean, you know, you should continue to pump anyway, just as your milk supply is going down so that the mom doesn't get sick. But how great that within that rejection, you still continue to do what you felt was the best for the baby and pumped. And yes, you slowly wean off of that, um, be off of doing that, but how great that within that you did that and knowing to expect that there are going to be challenges the second time around, it doesn't actually make the rejection feel better, but what a beautiful story that you were able to work through it to the best of your ability. And, um, continue on in a different way and then do it differently with the last two. So yay. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love, I love all of the stories. So, um, are there plans for any more? Cause she's 11 months. (laughs) No, no. I think, you know, like I was just reading your story. I'm like 18 kids. It's, um, it's a lot. It's a lot. And like, for me, I am a person who is highly sensitive I get overstimulated really quickly and I naturally get um, easily overwhelmed with chaos and just, just noise and a lot of commotion. And I know that four kids is my limit at mm-hmm. this time in my life. Who knows? Maybe in a few years, I'll change my mind. But at this season, I think I am, I'm good with four. <laughs> I mean, four, one's a lot. One's hard. You know, there's no limit that makes you like, oh, now you've arrived and it's great. Um, and four is a lot. So I totally get it. And yeah, and who knows, but again, good for you for knowing kind of your limitations and sticking by that, because I think that that's amazing. I want to end with your website. Um, We already talked about Instagram being the best place, but also you have your website is called emotionallyhealthylegacy.com. The link is in the description. Take me through what that, what that is, what it means to you, what you do. I know when they go on, they can definitely see information and you talk about it on the website, but take, take us through that because when we create businesses, the hundred percent of the time, the person who has a business wants to make it faster, easier, and more supported for the people that they reach their hand out for. And we are the avatar us at our worst is the woman, the person that we're looking for in our business. So tell me about the coaching and we'll end on that high note. Yeah. So uh, my title is I am a stress coach for moms and I help overwhelmed moms reduce the mental stress so they can respond with patience and calm. So oftentimes moms are reacting to their day and they're raising their voice and they feel like they're failing at everything in motherhood. And the root is, is that they are just struggling. They have unmet needs. They haven't taken care of themselves. They haven't prioritized ways to support themselves. And it's just coming out in negative ways. So that's what I help moms and support moms in doing. And I have a podcast that's also under Emotionally Healthy Legacy. Um, And I have guests on there. And I also teach ways that moms can support themselves 
in this season of life. Um, and I have a coaching program and we go through kind of like where you're at in this season in life and we help you structure your day that supports you. So then you can show up as a better version of yourself for your family, that you're more calm and present and more patient with your kiddos and you're less reactive. Um, so that is like my goal for mama. So if you go to my website, you'll find all the details there. You can also check out my podcast and I normally hang out on Instagram. That's where you can message me and just connect with me. Same handle, emotionally healthy legacy. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on. It's been such a pleasure. I'm so thankful. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this opportunity.